Welcome to Corbell CareerCast, the podcast from the Office of Career and Professional Development at the Joseph Corbell School of International Studies at the University of Denver. Today, we're excited to be joined by Kedavan Shinchiradze, who's a master's in an international security program here at Corbell, with Danielle Busan, the vice president of policy and public programs at the Aspen Institute. Thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Uh, thank you, Jamie, for the introduction. I have a pleasure of working with the Aspen Institute, with the Congressional Program, and I know Danielle from my time in D.C. last uh, semester, and I'm glad to ask her some questions. And yeah, also let uh, our fellow Corbell students know about the Aspen Institute. Um, Danielle, um, why don't we start with you telling us about the Aspen Institute, just summarizing briefly what the Institute does on a daily basis, what's the mission, and why is it so great? <laughs> All right, my pleasure. Um, I'll try to do it briefly, but it's a it's a little bit of a story. We're 75 years old, and um, we were formed uh, in the wake of World War II uh, when a number of philanthropists, academics, artists, um, and industrialists got together and said, what is happening to us? You know, we've lived through two world wars. We have massive inequality and political strife. And where have we, where have we lost our way as a people? And the idea was that um, they would promote people sort of looking looking within, but then also going to um, classic texts of literature um, and seeking their own meaning. So from the beginning, the Institute was never a place that was uh, partisan or told people the way to think, but was designed to help people find their own way to become leaders and promote what they call the better society, um, however people define that for themselves. So with that in mind, um, they started this Aspen Center on Humanistic Studies, which then later became the Aspen Institute and is now headquartered in Washington, DC. Um, it's called the Aspen Institute because Walter Pepke, who helped found it, um, had some of the first meetings on a mountaintop in Aspen, Colorado, which then was a sort of busted mining town that was gaining some traction as a, as a little ski town from soldiers returning from World War II who had learned to ski in Germany. Um, so it's very interesting history, but now it's based in Washington, D.C. And today, if we fast forward through many decades, I would say that there are about four pillars of the stool of the Aspen Institute. Um, the first is our policy programs, and that's what I help represent. So we have 26 policy programs. They fall into four basic buckets, um, economic inequality, international development and technology, health or healthier, safer communities, and then pillars of good societies, going back to that good society um, goal that I had mentioned before. Um, and then that's the policy programs. Those follow issues. So we call them policy programs. They may not operate the same way that think tanks, uh, other think tanks in Washington, D.C. consider themselves policy programs, but they follow issues. So what are the thorny issues facing society and what are people doing to tackle those issues? How do we get the right people in the room to discuss and then take those ideas that they find into action? Um, the second leg of the stool is our public programs. And those are things um best known as the Aspen Ideas Festival or City Lab. So that's cultivating audiences for creative thinking and problem solving. 
The third leg of the stool is our leadership initiatives. And those have been with Aspen since the beginning. Those follow the people. So um, whether they are established business leaders or young um, people who want to become leaders or people who are mid-career and trying to figure out what's the next step for them in their life, either you know really professionally, but sometimes that bleeds over into the personal too. Um, so how do you structure seminars and events for and fellowships for people who are in that stage of leadership development? And then the final fourth leg of the stool is our international partners. So we have over a dozen international partners all over the world. And those are organizations that aren't necessarily, they aren't Aspen employees, but they're a bit like a sister city organization. So they are organizations that share our values and um, desire for the better society and methods. And then we work very closely with them. They are part of the Aspen Institute and um, we often have cross programmatic opportunities that we have with them. Um, for instance, we have an Aspen Kiev, um, which is still in operation and uh, does an ideas festival uh, that is free to everyone and all throughout Kiev. Um, and it's a direct uh, takeaway from representatives from Aspen Kiev who came to the ideas festival and said, we love this. We want to bring this to young people um, in our city and explore issues of democracy. Um, so that's that's my quick explanation. Uh, we're about 500 employees. Like I said, headquartered here in D.C., but then um, we also have offices in New York and Aspen, Colorado. Thank you for uh, summarizing the complex structure of the Aspen Institute uh, in five minutes. I want to ask you uh, to talk more about the challenges and advantages of working with the institution, which has more than 30 programs. Uh, it is great that you target so many issue areas, but certainly it should come with certain challenges and advantages too. I, I'll start with the advantages because I'm an optimist. Um, so I like to say that um, complex problems are complex and um, they require different approaches, different audiences, um, and different methods sometimes for solutions. So uh, we do have... Uh, 26 policy programs, but like I said, they're grouped into four basic issue areas. And so just to take as an example that we have a group of programs that's focused on economic inequality, but those programs approach economic inequality in different ways. So we have programs that are focused on um, the dignity of work. Um, so how 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 is our labor force um, prepared for the future? How are we treating our labor force, um, et cetera? Then we have another policy program that focuses on financial instruments. So what are the, excuse me, sorry about that. What are the financial, um, what are the, uh, the financial tools that employers can give to workers, um, retirement benefits, et cetera, that can help promote, um, financial stability? We also have programs that are focused, they are they are in that economic um, pillar of work, but then we're, they're focused on education. So we have a college excellence program and that is not actually, it is an education program, but its focus, its reason for being is to ensure that when people are going to college, that they graduate because the worst thing to happen is, you know, take on a ton of debt, go to college, not graduate. Now you don't have the degree and you have an, a, a bill that, that you may never pay off or takes decades to pay off. So how do we approach um, college readiness and college completion rates? How do we work with community colleges to ensure that people who are starting in a community college 
as a foundation are able to transfer credits and then eventually graduate and um, begin a path to financial stability. Um, so that's just a quick example of why we may have so many programs. They're all focused on education. They're all focused on, sorry, economic uh, inequality and and eradicating economic inequality, but in different ways. So yes, we could. I guess we could narrow it down, but then. The beauty of it is that we have people who are really smart and interesting and are focused on these issues, but are all able to work together to address those problems that um, are hopefully not intractable, but have been really difficult to solve for generations. Great. I think I will add one more advantage from my side, um, spending time at Aspen. It is so diverse that I always had a feeling that there is a place for everyone. There are so many pro, pro, programs and issue areas that if you are in in this field, then you can probably find something interesting in Aspen. And I met a lot of interesting people at the Institute and thank you for that. And I think that naturally leads me to another question. What kind of person do you think succeeds at the Aspen Institute? That's a great question. I would say a curious person. Um, so a curious person and uh, and the word that you hear a lot around here is entrepreneurial. So uh, the beauty of working here is that um, for me, at least, I get to work with some of the smartest people I've ever known. Um, and they're fun, uh, which is very important <laughs> to just, it is, it's very, you have to work with fun people. Um, but they are people who are curious about the world and the way the world works. Um, they are not afraid to try something new. They're not afraid to try something that doesn't work out. It, you know, there's there's a, a there's a risk to, to approaching problems in creative ways. It's um, so you have to be the kind of person that is able to try different things, look at a problem in different ways, um, but also we pride ourselves on setting a table of problem solvers. So the other thing I tell people is, you know, this is not a place for big egos. Um, this is a place for people who um, really want to encourage others to speak and talk to one another rather than just listen to the person who works at the Aspen Institute. Um, so uh, creative, entrepreneurial, uh, a bit humble and fun. And so th that those would be the four four key ingredients that I would want to see from anybody who um, is interested in coming here and, and working with us. Those are excellent four ingredients. Um, and I am also curious, how does the organization center diversity, um, equity, inclusion, and belonging? It's it's a never-ending uh, source of, of work for us. I think I'll, I'll, you know, the elephant on the table is you hear something like the Aspen Institute and people think of, you know, ski chalets and I don't know, you know, Aspen being this glamorous town. Um, um, and then actually, you know, there, we were founded in Aspen. We have a, we have a, a beautiful facility in Aspen and, and those are assets. Um, but we also want to leverage that and do try to leverage that with working with, um, people across the socioeconomic, racial, religious, gender uh, spectrum. Um, so we are we have an excellent internal um, people and culture team that works here to both try to recruit and retain talent from all across that spectrum. Um, we also do work that I think a lot of people don't realize. We partner with a lot of local organizations throughout the country, cities, um, Birmingham, Grand Rapids, uh, Tulsa, there's an event happening right now in Tulsa, actually, um, and other um, areas that people don't always think of the Aspen Institute working in and working on a 
wide variety of issues as we discussed before. So whether it's um, economic equality or criminal justice reform or um, education for um, folks that have been marginalized. Um, we have a Latinos in Society program that works on entrepreneur. How do we promote the entrepreneur class um, of the various Latinos communities that exist in the United States? Um, so the answer is uh, we are we are as you noted a diverse organization with a lot of different um, tentacles, as it were, um, both on the ground and in policy areas. But we're also committed to um, to to building a more just and inclusive society, and and that also has to begin with our our own work here, um, hiring and supporting our our many wonderful staff. Great, like I said, there's a place for everyone at the. There's a place for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> um, and um, would you describe the work environment at the Aspen Institute as competitive? or collaborative? I would describe it as collaborative. I don't, you know, it is when, although we, we do have, it's a good question. We've got programs that work on similar issues, as I mentioned, but because their, their missions are so clear, this is where the, we tend to avoid that kind of competitive spirit. I, I would be, um, you know, there are, I'm sure multiple programs will try to, you know, go to similar funders. And so in that sense, it might seem competitive, but there's a lot of great work that is done. Um, it's being done actually just last week, we had a, a an event on financial inclusion um, that incorporated the work of, of multiple policy programs, all working together um, along with our public programs team, actually, that was involved and, we have done that routinely where um, programs will actually jointly apply for funds or hold joint events together. Um, we did a really neat event, um, just a quick example with um, our arts program and our health medicine and society program. So um, talking about arts and neuroscience, um, we had a, a famous conductor, Marin Alsop, who came and, and spoke about her work. Um, not just in the orchestra, but uh, the Baltimore Symphony Orchestra, but also uh, developing an or orchestra program for children um, in Baltimore who didn't have a lot of after-school opportunities and what that meant to what the outcomes were for those students, along with neuroscient neuroscientists who could talk about what music actually does to the brain. Um, so that's where it gets really fun is where you can get these experts um, in what seem like very specific, perhaps niche areas, but then tell a much bigger picture about, um, for this example, music and brain health and educational outcomes um, in a way that feels really fresh and exciting. Amazing. I think I just learned more about the Aspen Institute too. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is, the, there's, there's no two days are alike. I learn something new every day and I am grateful for it. I think I agree with that. Yes. Um, and I also want to pivot towards the hiring process because I think that would be very interesting for um, my colleagues at the Corbell School. What is the general hiring uh, policy and process at the Aspen Institute and what kind of people does the Institute hire? Well, with a diverse set of, of issues and over 500 employees, I couldn't tell you what one kind of person we would hire would look like. Um, but I can say that we are committed to hiring with transparency. So the the website is by far and away, that is where you should go look. There are no sort of secret jobs out there for folks um, that aren't on the website. Um, 
My advice isn't even limited to the Aspen Institute, but maybe just for job seekers generally, which is to say that um, I personally love to see candidates who show what they offer um, to the Institute. And, you know, for people who maybe don't have a, a long career I would just say to them, do not fret that you don't have something to offer. Everybody has something to offer. Everybody has an amazing skill set and they have strengths. Um, so I do like cover letters, which maybe makes me very old fashioned, but I think cover letters can tell a story that a resume cannot. And I will often um, see a resume that looks great. And then I see a cover letter that looks terrible. And I will very rarely go through with that applicant. Um Conversely, I might see a resume that looks okay, um, but then I see a cover letter that's thoughtful and explains um, why the person is interested in this role, what they can bring to the role, um, why they think they're a good fit. And that to me is incredibly intriguing um, because like I said, resumes don't always tell the whole story. And so I do want to know, I, I don't, as much as I love the Institute and I do, I it doesn't. I'm not looking for someone to tell me how great the the Aspen Institute is. I'm looking for someone to tell me what they how, what greatness what their greatness is, so that I can figure out if it's a good fit for the institute. Um, having just said that, I there's no one person that would that you know I could point to as an ideal candidate. I sort of finding a finding a person who could offer insights into what works for them is actually the best kind of candidate I could hope for because I never want to hire somebody who isn't a good fit. I don't want someone to be unhappy working for us. So just that that knowledge, that inner knowledge that a candidate can have of, of what their skill set is and how they would like to operate at the Institute is, is very valuable. I think not just for the I Institute, but for any job. I, I agree with that. And I think you just answered a great question that all of us have young professionals. How important is your cover letter and resume? So thank you for that answer. Um, and I am also curious, do you also hire international students? Because that is very often a limitation with many think tanks or NGOs. We have a few. Um people here who are on, who are, and I, this is where my uh, employment knowledge falls flat. So I'm going to just lay that out there, but we do have a few folks here who I know um, are on, a part of some sort of visa program, but I couldn't tell you exactly which one, whether I think it's J1 is the student visas, but I am not quite sure. So um, I don't know how many are student visas that would have to, that's something I would have to look at, but I do know we do have folks that we have sponsored. It is rare. And I will be honest because it is an expense the, to the, um, Institute. I think if there's somebody who's interested in applying, I would say always apply, please do not let that be a hindrance to applying for a role. Um, but also, help any employer, including us, understand what we need to do to be good stewards of the the prospective employee and to follow any all rules and regulations. Because if it's if it's something where, you know, I'm just thinking with a general nonprofit hat, if you're not aware of it and you have to hire outside counsel and figure this out or an employment lawyer, things get hairy very quickly. And so um however uh organizations uh, like the Corbell School could make could make it easy to understand what an employer has to do. 
um, the better. But please do not uh, don't let that from let don't let that stop somebody from applying for a position. Thank you. And um, I think this is time for me to give credit to our Office of Career and Professional Development, who actually work with international students tirelessly to figure out their next uh, career path. I also want to touch base on the Nathanson Fellowship that Corbell School and the Aspen Institute have set up together. I think it would be interesting for folks to hear how the fellowship works and what advantages has it brought to the Aspen Institute and Corbell School as well. Well, I can talk about the advantage for the Aspen Institute, which has been wonderful. So the Jane and Mark Nathanson scholars are... Um, graduate students who have applied for about six month terms with various policy programs. So those have included the congressional program that you were a part of, um, our um, Andy program, which works with um, entrepreneurs all around the world, uh, our national, sorry, uh, Aspen Security Forum and Aspen Security Program, um, our international partners. So there is, as you can hear me saying, there's an international bent to it. Um, and Without a doubt, I have heard such great things about the Corbell students. In fact, um, our our only issue now is that we're we're limited to what is it? I think it's five a year. Is that right? I, um, so I have had programs that have said, "Well, uh, you know, we need another one. We need another one. Where's our next one coming from?" And so um, there's there's no higher praise than somebody uh, asking for for their next uh, Corbell student to come and and be a scholar at the Aspen Institute. Um, it's been a, the only drawback I would say is because we started this, um, two years ago is, uh, we are, a lot of these are, are remote. So that's a benefit to some, to some interns because they don't have to find housing in Washington, DC, and, and that can be expensive and time consuming. Um, I would love it if we had more that were based in DC, um, because I do think that there is such a value, um, to seeing what we do in action and, um, meeting as many people as possible here. So I do hope that for students who will be in DC, that they'll consider, um, applying for a fellowship. We have amazing programs that would just love to host them. Um, that being said, we've also given opportunities to interns who work remotely, and we are trying to get those interns, I'm sorry, scholars, apologies, um, trying to get those scholars to attend the Aspen events that they are working on. So to also to give them an in-person experience, but um, really having somebody here in the office, even if it's just, you know, once or twice a week, um, I think benefits us both. I also want to agree with you about the importance of being in DC to do this internship. I was so grateful that I got the opportunity to attend a lot of events that the Aspen Institute organizes and meet many interesting people have given me valuable uh, career advice. So maybe our DC program participants should consider applying to the Aspen Institute while they spend their time in Washington, DC. And just to uh, wrap it up sort of, what advice would you have for young professionals coming out of grad school, looking for their first professional jobs? What would be your general advice for job search? I, I've been one of you. So I, would, I say this with, with a lot of empathy. I know it's hard. Um, 
especially when you don't know a lot of people, two things. I would say try to meet as many people as possible. Um, that it, it's very old fashioned. And I know it can take a lot of work to sort of email or call up a relative stranger and say, I'm looking for advice. But um, but I think it is valuable because you get to hear about a lot of different jobs and you have to think about what you want versus what you don't want, which is, and knowing what you don't want is just as important as knowing what you want from a job uh, or for a career path. So that old word networking um, still matters. Um, and I know I dread it, I'll be honest, um, but it is valuable and um, and important. The second thing I would say is don't think that there is one linear career path for you. Um, I look back on my own career and I see, I can tell a story now about my journey that makes sense and is a nice linear story. But the fact is, uh, you know, when I had, you know, I, I went to law school and I did, I did a law firm, uh, I worked at a law firm for a year and a half uh, before I realized it was not going to be the path for me. And I was able to, evaluate, talk to a lot of people about jobs that I thought were interesting, figure out what I didn't think was interesting, and then follow with practicality. Obviously, you have to pay your rent, but follow the jobs that are interesting. Follow the things that just that make you excited to get up in the morning, that you're curious about doing, or you're learning something, you're working with smart people, you're working at a great place. Um, but, you know, so many people I know get really frustrated at in the earlier midpoints in their career because they just they think that there was this ladder that they should have been climbing. And it's more like a vine uh, or a series of vines that will lead you ultimately to to the best place for you. But don't get so hung up on thinking that it's the next rung in the ladder that's going to get you what you want. Really always in the Aspen fashion, um, sit back, evaluate your values, think of what excites you, who you are, what you want to do, um, and let that guide you, but not prescribe everything that you think you should be doing. Thank you so much. Uh, everything you said about the Aspen Institute today uh, was absolutely helpful. And for me, at least, and I hope people who will listen to this podcast will also enjoy learning more about the Institute. I have been encouraging my friends on campus to apply for Aspen fellowships because I am so in love. I cannot even uh, stress the significance of this experience in my life. And I want other people to have equally, if not better experience uh, with working with you. Any other final thoughts before we wrap it up? Uh, no, just that we, this is such an impressive school and everybody that we've met with and everyone that's worked with us has been so wonderful to work with. And I just want to wish everyone who's listening the best of luck with their journey in school and beyond. Or um, And if there are any questions that they have about the Institute, I will do my best to answer them as directly as possible. So thank you for being a fellow. Slash Thank scholar. you for choosing me to be a fellow <laughs> slash scholar. <laughs> I, yeah, I forgot the actual moniker. That's terrible. But um, <laughs> the title is less important than the amazing work that we've we've been able to do together. So thank you. Absolutely. Thank you so much. And thanks to the Office of the Career and Professional Development who has uh, initiated this podcast for us to learn more about the employers out there. So we wish everybody the wonderful rest of the day. Great. We're so grateful to Ketavon and to the Aspen Institute. Thank you, Danielle, for sharing that. Um, we do have six fellows a year is kind of what we're on target for. So I just wanted to follow up with that. 
I love the history of the Aspen Institute being connected to Colorado. And I also think a new tagline at Corbell should be addressing complex problems with curiosity. Can we co-op that? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> so. I, I, I think I made it up. So it's not our official. <laughs> there's no trademark. It's yours. Awesome. Well, thank you again. We're grateful to both of you and this continued partnership. And we wish everybody that's listening today to have a beautiful day. Thank you. Thank you.